This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Playing Liverpool for the first time in over 30 years. Here at Besotted, we decided we're going to do a bumper podcast. This one is pretty long, it has to be said. But don't worry, it's got loads and loads of different parts in it. It's got me, Billy Grant, we've got Dave Lady Lane in the house and also Jimmy Mack. And we've invited Dan from the award-winning Anfield Rap. He'll be on a little bit later. Really interesting chat with Dan. Also, we've got all sorts of parts. we talked about the Wolverhampton Wanderers game. We've got Will, the spreadsheet winker, who's doing all the stats for us. We've got JB with his facts and his fun. We've even got Phil Giles, the Brentford director of football, giving us the lowdown on the Liverpool game. So listen, check it all out because it's a lot of fun. But if you want to pick out piece by piece, go to the description box. We'll have the timings of every single section and you can pick out and listen to what you want. But I think you should listen to it all because it's going to be worth it. Enjoy and thanks for listening. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. And I'm sitting here back in the pub. The weather's wonderful. The pub is buzzing, and uh, it's a Wednesday night again, and we're back in the old-school mode, like I said to you, like, you know, flip between the virtual and the real pub. This is where it's really happening, like, you know, when you're sitting around the table with your chums, with your buddies, got a pint in hand, whatever you may be drinking, it might be orange juice, it might be some sort of pint of Cornish orchid lager thingy. No, it's not. No, it's not, actually, no, it is. Well, I'm Billy Grant here, and I'm just sitting here, and I'm very happy, because uh, I've seen two, not even one, but two marvellous wins within a couple of days for the mighty mighty bees as we say and i'm sitting here with my chum dave laney lane lady how are you doing uh yeah um can i i'll be back with you in a minute actually mate i'm um, just need to um uh do me um the shoelaces up and um just just crack on a bit no okay. so, wait for me wait okay, for me. i'm gonna wait wait okay there's a bit bit, bit of ready, waiting waiting at the moment now listen but listen but other than that okay laney i've, I've waited for you for a little bit but listen how, how are you i mean you've had quite a good weekend or extended weekend haven't we yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's been good. My laces are okay now. I can I can carry on now. Uh, yeah, no, it's it was a, it was a great weekend, and um, yeah, last night was was excellent. I mean, you can't you can't ever knock us a seven nil home win, can you? Ever. And that was last night. We played Oldham last night, which we won seven nil against Oldham on last night. And on Saturday, we went to Wolverhampton Wanderers and we beat them two nil. So that's nine nil on aggregate. That's quite good, isn't it? 
It's very good. Yeah, I, I, this uh, on a serious note, this not conceding goals is a brilliant habit to, to get into, and uh, the, the, the defence. Uh, you know, obviously Oldham didn't. We talk about Oldham in a minute, but they didn't offer us anything really. They, although they had more shots on target than Wolves, funny enough. <laughs> so there you go. So look. We've got Lane in the house here as well, and also got Lane in the house, man, Jimmy Mack as well. We, like I said, we were hanging out with Jimmy Mack for the whole of the lockdown as well, down here in the Globe. I'm in the Globe, here as, as, you, as, as, if, you, if, as if you need to second guess the Globe, down Wimmore Road, just around the corner from Griffin Park, old Griffin Park, as well, only a stone's throw away from the new stadium as well. And Jimmy Mack and myself and a load of other characters, we spent a lot of time in the Globe here during the lockdown. This, this was our Griffin Park, actually, during the time, wasn't it, Jimmy? This was, yeah, this was the temporary, uh, temporary home ground, actually. Um, Bill, sorry, before, before I start, man, I've just noticed it's very... It won't, won't be long. It's a very thin... You, you're wasting a bit of time there. It's a thin chip, it's a thin chip in the glass I've got. I'm going to go to the bar quickly. Get, Come. get, get I'll be two, two minutes, literally. I'll be t- listen. Okay, I've, no, okay, I'm good to go. Listen, I'll, okay, I'll go. I'll go. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Um, um, okay, we'll restart play. So, yeah, back in the, the Globe, it was basically with the home ground for last season. Yeah, so uh, nice to be back here chatting to you chaps. Um, but, yeah, wonderful start, isn't it, to the, to the year. Um, last night... Oldham was a bit of a surreal experience. I mean, there's not many times that you can go to a game and find, uh, you know, there's a bit of duplicity in a 7-0 win because it seemed almost, at what point does it become a little bit unsportsmanlike to keep scoring against a team that are going for such a hardship and it was a bit, bit, of, a bit of a strange one. But, but these are great problems to have, aren't they? Indeed, they are great problems to have. And I mean, we were talking about last night as well, because me and Laney, uh, we, went, we went a bit posh as well last night. You know, you're going to say, like, boo! You know, but we actually got a very nice that we got an invite from uh, sort of one of the sponsors actually to just go and investigate another part of the ground. And we just thought, you know, you know, take the Oldham game is one of the games where, you know, it's probably a better game than most other games to actually see another part of the ground that you wouldn't normally see. And so we actually went into, a, into one of the sort of sponsors' lounges and we kind of saw what was going on there. Uh, the Fortress, was it? It was the Fortress, yeah. So we we were there with you know there's a few players I think Sergi Canos was there and a whole lot of other players Terry Evans. and Terry Evans oh yeah he spoke to Tell as well big old Tell Evans as well was there so yeah it was it was a very very different experience it has to be said wasn't it Laney actually actually that glass is chipped it is it is definitely chipped Sorry, no more no more wasting time please Laney can we just get okay. on with it yeah yeah it was a very different experience and um, one that I would. One I'm very grateful to have experience, but one I probably wouldn't want every week. It's not my, it's not my way of watching football, <clears throat> um, and I, and it's not it's not designed for me, you know. And and that's why we had to move because it allows people that want to spend two hundred pound a game with with meals and um, free drinks and pies at half time to to go and experience that. But there was a lot of people around us that really weren't interested in the game, and whether it was just an easy win, you know, it was it was a League Cup game against Oldham, so you know it wasn't the Liverpool match, and it wasn't the Arsenal game, and it wasn't the Brighton game. So you know, it, it, it was it may have felt different on a on a on a Premiership match day vibe, but um, the, the the seats were very comfortable, the view was excellent, um, the executive box. I'd quite like one when I'm a bit older. Um, I'd like to be able to have the beer, beer of my choice in there, and the food of my choice, and go and sit outside with mates of my choice. I think you could have 
good fun in there. Yeah, I think you could have the best of both worlds, but um, at the moment... Well, saying that, actually, because uh, Simon Dunmore is, is a mate of mine from... Uh, he runs Defected Records, who you may or may not know, and he's a QPR fan, and what he used to do, I remember, he got a box, and again, you used to think, oh, boxes are really rubbish, but he got a box at QPR, he used to get a box at QPR, and he used to basically get his DJ decks in there, like, you know, so he used to get his decks in there, the speakers and everything like that, get all his music industry mates, and basically they just used to have a rave every single game at QPR, like, you know what I'm saying? So you, you make it what you, what you have to, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so it's great to experience it, and uh, um, you can't beat a free pint every now and again. So uh, no, I, I did. I enjoyed it, and, and I'm and I'm with Jimmy as well. Actually, there was a, a there was a little bit of kind of this was Brentford not so long ago. Us going to this big stadium, big new stadium that someone else was lucky enough to have, and uh, us you know, us floundering in the wrong end of the the football league and never ever thinking that our fortunes were ever going to change and all of a sudden we're you know the big fish as it were we're the premiership team and we're kind of rubbing salt into the wounds of Oldham and you know I I got no pleasure out of that I thought the Oldham fans um, were they did their club proud last night Um, and I'm just so grateful that we haven't got to worry about those kind of issues anymore it's a it's about you know um, it's about growing and becoming equals with the best in the, in the land now, not not fighting for survival. And you know, as I said, I'm very, I'm just grateful that those days are gone. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy. I mean, again, you, you were in you weren't in the posh seats. You know, you were you were actually like doing the singing, and you were beyond the goal. And it's a different experience for you, wasn't it? Yeah, thank you, uh, Premium Bill. And as a uh, Premium Dave just said. Um, you know, it was, it was a quite a surreal night in, in that way of uh, of uh, on the pitch. But you know, if I may give you the, the view from the the, uh, the working class stands, uh, the, the, pro, the, the proletariat, um, if you can remember such a thing, um, in the West End it was. So West End is uh, where where I well I can say what I say where I sit. I've only been there for like four times, but you know, it's home. Um, but there was. A slight improvement, I think, from the Forest Green game, which was, I think, we all agree was a little bit um, people finding their feet. Again, maybe there was a bit of that last night. You could clearly see the centre of the West Stand had gotten their feet and took. Stood so, there. so you said the standing issues again, standing sitting issues were there? Yeah, the, yeah, that's that's what I'm what I'm getting at. The middle of the stand, I kind of owned it a little bit, but there was, you know, where I was a little bit too, um, maybe towards the the premium area, which you guys clearly know uh, very well. Um, and you know, sitting behind me, there were there were you know a few kids and a few you know people who weren't going to weren't going to stand for various reasons. So therefore, you can't stand because it's a bit rude. So there's a bit of an adjustment period there, and it's very clear that the noise comes from the people on their feet. It's an absolute no-brainer. So. Um, you know, it's very early days. The club it was it was improved, so I think the club are finding their feet there. But the message needs to really try and get out. I think when we're selling those seats, um, somehow, and it's not easy, but somehow that if you're going to sit here, you know, don't be upset if someone stands in front of you. It's, well, it's interesting because we had a meeting with the club as well, which we talked about that. There was us there, the GPG, it was like the bias, you know, fan groups, Bees United, we're all there, and, you know, and, and, and the West End Alliance as well. We were all there, and we were discussing that very same thing about how we're going to sort out the issue that didn't happen at Forest Green. Again, you know, what we might do is write an article about it, but we'll just briefly mention what was discussed. It just said, look, basically, the word on the street is that 
that area is a standing area and they need to just um, get that message out to people for which of a way that that is a standing area. The stewards have got people to sit down recently, which is a bit of an error, and they're trying to correct that to make sure that that's not going to happen. But unfortunately, we still do have people that are coming in who don't quite know the score and they need to put out a stronger message out there that people do know what the score is. There are also people in the West End apparently who have bought tickets in the West End and have gone, oh no, I didn't realise it was standing. And so they might actually want to relocate to other places. So there's a number of things that are happening there at the moment now which are teething problems as they call them but like I said these things have been discussed but the, the, the positive thing is like I said to you and we mentioned this a few weeks ago the future looks like we're going to be having safe standing at Griffin Park you know within the very very short well, I'm talking about within the, within a year you know so we're not saying that you know it's going to happen tomorrow but in the, in the longer future, that is going to happen. And I think when you've got safe standing, when you've got rail seating in that area, it's going to be very obvious that this area is a standing area. So if you don't want to be standing, you're not going to be in that area. But what we've got is that we've got a short period of time, whether or not it's a year or so, where we've got to try and sort out the issue of people basically not doing what they technically should be doing in that area. But like I said to you, um, they know about it and, 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 the, and, the, and the club do know about it, which is, uh, which is a good thing. Yeah, and there's, there's a marked difference between like the first half and the second half in terms of atmosphere, right? And they're kind of the same as Forest Green. The first half was people, you know, sussed each other out who can stand, who can't. And then when that kind of worked itself out, kind of not perfectly, but it worked itself out a little bit, the, uh, the atmosphere improved second half. And I think that was because people were moving around a little bit, you know, maybe standing the ground, standing up and moving and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously scoring seven goals helps, don't be wrong, but, um, and shooting towards the fans always helps, of course. But yeah, that, that was there. And one, one point I noticed, and, and this is just an observation on the new place, there were so many people, I mean, there's a lot of people there anyway for a game against Oldham, um, and this is probably the Philip of the Premier League and the new ground, of course. There's after the after the games, a lot of people who just you get the feel that they were, you know, new fans or tourists taking selfies. It was there's there's something happening at the club. If you just new people, you know, it's not the staleness that we've got used to. And um, listen, you got to welcome all that, but it's quite a surreal thing. We used to mock going to Chelsea, and you know, people were there enjoying and taking photos, photos of the stadium. We used, we used to you know, laugh at that, and now now it's here, and this, this big big club buzz is kind of uh, emerged on us. Quite a, quite a strange thing, isn't it? What came out of the meeting, from my perspective, was the, the club are going to be really, really enforcing some things over other things. They're very adamant that people need to sit in their correct seats, and you can't have tw- or stand in the correct seats or stand in your correct seats. But then, you know, but you're not going to be able to have twenty of your mates that aren't supposed to be sitting in that row with you. There, that is a big safety issue from them, being overcrowded, having 20 people, or five, 20 is an exaggeration, having three people on, around one seat um, <clears throat> on, on a row, um, and if, if the you know, goal scored, then the potential for people falling over on top of other people is high. There, they'll be policing that, I think, more vigorously than anything else. Read between the lines on that. Um, read read what is not been said there, but if you wanna if you wanna if you wanna be able to not sit down, make sure you're not surrounded by people that shouldn't be sitting with you or standing with you. Yeah, there's that as well. Also, there's another thing: is the big W, as you know. I think you know, as far as it comes to fan manners, as it was, as you know, there's a big B in my bonnet, big B in Besotti's bonnet about the fact that 
um, the club was not actually allowing away fans to have any beer. And that was what happened at Griffin Park. We know the reasons why, because there's no toilets for them to get the toilets. So they said, look, if we don't give them any beer, then they're not going to want to go to the toilets. But they extended that to Griffin Park, and there's uh, to new Griffin Park, the new stadium. And there's no real reason for that. Arsenal fans are really upset. Brighton fans are really upset. Oldham fans, again, mentioned it. And, you know, like I said to you, we've been talking to the club. And the good thing about it is that as fans, a fan group, as a fan media outlet, as whatever you may call us, we're able to pick up the phone, WhatsApp, whatever it may do, speak to the club and they come back to us and they listen to us, they invite us for meetings and we say, look, we're not happy about this because our chums, our people who we invite on our podcast, we've got a Liverpool fan coming on, Dan's coming on the podcast a little bit later, we've got very good relationships with fans up and down the country and for them to come down and say, we love your ground but you can't have a beer, it's really rubbish, that doesn't sit well with us at all and to be fair, the club's listened and it looks like now they're reversing that decision so in a, maybe a month or so's time, they're going to actually open it up so that away fans are actually going to be getting beer in the away end. Like I said to you, I don't drink at football grounds, so it doesn't bother me myself. So it's not personally for myself, but other people do. So I think that's really important. So it's good that the club has listened. They've turned around. And unfortunately for Liverpool fans, it's not going to be quite for you. We're sorry about that. But give it a month or so and um, away fans will be going, hey, we actually quite like Brentford, which is all good. Are we, are we formally advocating a bring-your-own-bottle policy for Liverpool fans on Saturday, or is that not the case? A bottle of lemonade, yeah? Um, well, yes, yes, lemonade, of course. <laughs> That's right, yes, they'll be bringing a bottle of lemonade as well. So listen, I mean, other than that, like I said to you, loads on this podcast. We've got the usual characters on there. We've got Will, the spreadsheet winker. He's going to be telling us what happens statistically at Wolverhampton Wanderers. And also, he's going to be scaring the bejesus out of us by telling us statistically what's going down in Liverpool on the stats front. And we, I think we all don't even need to have Will on that one, because I think we know exactly what's going down. We've got JB as well, who's going to give us some facts and funk. He's got some record-breaking facts and funk as well. And we We've also got Dan from the Anfield Rap, the, the award-winning, very famous Anfield Rap. He's actually coming down the pub to have a drink with us, and he'll be here in just a minute as well. So we've got a very exciting show for you here today. Um, we've been uh, runners-up in several awards. Yeah, we've, we've, we're like, we're like we've Brentford. Lost. We've, yeah. we've lost. We've bottled it in big, big awards. Right. We, we are just like Brentford. We get there, and we're close but no cigar, and every time we get to the finish line, we fluff it and we lose. <laughs> so maybe we could get Dan to talk about all the awards that they've won and we'll tell him about all the awards that we haven't quite won, actually. We, we finished second, in, which is all good. But like I said to you, oh, listen, we're in the Globe and we're going to go off and get a little drink. And after, and after we... After we oh, hold on a second. Wait. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Wait. And after we, we're going to come back afterwards and we're going to talk about the Wolverhampton match, maybe a little bit about the older match as well. So, Wolverhampton Wanderers, what a great day out. 2 0 we won, driving up in the car, great day. Went to the pub beforehand, 12.30 kickoff, went to the game, great game, we won it. After the game, went back to the pub. Wolves fans were really, really, really fantastic. They, To be fair, they gave us lots of props. Um, on that post-match podcast as well, we had Phil Giles, the Brentford Director of Football, and the Chairman, um, Cliff Crown, on there as well. But, like I said to you, great game, but... If you want to get a real vibe about what happened in that game, it's always best to go and listen to the fans, both the Brentford fans and the Wolverhampton fans. Um, I'm going to go to them in, in, a, in a minute. I'm going to go to them in a minute. Um, get on, get on with it. Just get on with it, Bill. Oh, God, I'm, I'm wasting time again. Sorry, we're going to go to the fans at the game right now. I'll, I'll take a draw at the beginning, um, but I thought they were brilliant from start to finish. Brentford fans were excellent, brilliant performance. I think um, you're looking at a player, Norgard, summed us up today. Didn't work, didn't stop working the whole game. Brilliant. I thought first half, we was excellent going forward. Um, we could have had a couple more um, 
goals. I think when Bremo took his chances, I think the game could have been out of reach. But yeah, with 10 men, we've got to be well happy with that, haven't we? Well happy. What a great day out. What a great game. So exciting. But every time Brentford seen a bit, since we've been in the Premier League, there's always incident with Brentford. It just, it's so exciting to come along and see them. It just always seems to be some sort of incident. Loved every minute of it. I'm a bit disappointed, to be honest, because I think we should have won about 6 or 7 nil with the chances. <laughs> You're greedy. Yeah, I think we're going to have a deep, deep, deep dive uh, inquest afterwards to see um, why we, we missed the other five chances. <laughs> Brentford FC in the Premier League. We're here. We're a bus stop at Hounds, though. You can't stop us. We're on a roll. Second half. What a professional performance in the second half. Wore them down. Went down when we needed to. Wasted the time when we needed to. We are now a Premier League team. We're also a bus stop in Hounsa, apparently. Oh, we are a bus stop. 267, 37. We are just a bus stop in Hounsa. The first time we've been really assertive, I thought, for the whole of um, this season, five games in. But uh, no, we, we pushed on. We were on the front foot. We took the game game to them and I thought that's fantastic usually fine with a loss I mean it's not brilliant but I did think it was a bit unfair um, why? just because of the way that just the ref and the way that um, Brentford played I think they played really well I think they did deserve a win but I think there's a bit of time wasting going on a little bit of cheating Time wasting and cheating is they're two different things. You know what I'm saying? We did we did have ten men. You know what I'm saying? We had to last that ninety minutes with ten men. Yeah, half an hour with ten men. Um, yeah, I think you played well. We it's our worst game of the season. We didn't play that great, so you deserve the win. But I did think it was a bit unfair at times. Um, basically, I just didn't think we turned up today. Simple as I think. It's one of those, it's quite frustrating at the moment being a Wolves fan because they just don't, they can't take the chances. It just seems like it's, that's how it's going. It's really weird. Um, but yeah, it was like, it, it was a, I, for me, it's just a really frustrating game. <laughs> you guys are really attacking, which is really good. In a sense, you do remind me of how we came up to the Premiership. And that's why when I've had a few, a few of my mates back at work are like, oh, we can see Brentford going, no, I'm just there going, no, nah, they're staying up. I reckon you guys will stay up this season and I reckon you'll do really well as well. I reckon you'll surprise a lot of people. But you guys definitely took advantage of your chances today, which is what we can't do as well. Um, especially the two goals. You just literally, as soon as you saw the opportunity, you passed. Where well, we couldn't do that. After today, I no longer know what level Brentford are at. We go into a Liverpool game next week and I honestly don't know what to expect. I've, I'm not sure what will happen but we're a better Brentford than even I thought we were so good today and I honestly think we can give Liverpool a good run for their money next week and who would have thought little old bus stopping Hounslow giving you'll never walk alone Liverpool a run for their money so there you go the Wolves fans and the Bees fans and again you get the best idea from a game when you just take a cross-section of fans straight after the game and they tell you straight. And then Wolves fans, they told us straight. And I, it's almost like they were giving us more props than we were ourselves because we were like, they were going, you battered us. And I was going, well, whatever you did, I think we, we did all right. And they're going, no, 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 you really battered us. And I just thought, wow, OK. I mean, you're saying it. Um, I don't think that we did batter them. I thought that we played very well and we, 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 we managed the game very well. And, uh, well, 
hold a second, I'm wasting a bit of time. Come on, get on. Oh, sorry, sorry, I was wasting time there for a minute. And uh, but it was not, I wasn't, I was managing the time as opposed to wasting time there. But I thought that the Wolves fans were, to be fair, tip me out to them to say, look, fair play to you as football fans. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we did our. Sunday podcast, which is called the, the the Weekend Review, myself, Laney and the Allard, and we sat down there and we talked about that game and we talked about a number of various points, like, you know, the eye-catcher, the danger man for walls, the stinker of the match, the key moment, but we also had a main takeaway. We, Me and Laney discussed our main takeaway, but Jimmy, what was your main takeaway from that match? Um, main takeaway from the match was that, I mean, it was a huge game, I thought, uh, because we had... A good start. We had a good start. We agree with that. But there's a few games we'd had where we performed well and we just didn't score or couldn't really convert the chances. So the main takeaway was it was in a team of continually improving, right? And we just we pushed on that bit further again, where we, you know, turned a draw into a win. It showed a real strong mentality, and um, it just massively relieved the pressure for the next four games because they're four games which, before the start of the season, you look at it, you think we could lose all four of them. And uh, now I think we've got a chance of getting something against Liverpool, which is maybe optimistic. But I think the mentality and for the confidence and just that, that improving and taking advantage of those small margins, as uh, Thomas says, um, that was the takeaway, really. Obviously, there's a big, there's a wider conversation we had about the um, game. Um, um, game. Uh, oh, what's that? Oh, sorry, just there's some time wasting again. No more time wasting. But listen, you know, but the thing is, what's interesting is that we were. Very good. Ivan Tony caused them problems. But also I thought the interesting thing is that Wolverhampton Wanderers didn't have a shot on target. And they they say they haven't had a shot on target. This is the first game they haven't had a shot on target all season. But I thought it's, it's the first game since they've been in the Premier League that they haven't had a shot on target, which I thought was pretty, pretty quite an amazing stat, actually. Yeah, it just shows you, you know, we, we defended really, really well. And, uh, you know, they, they were, were wasteful. They, the chances they had and the pressure they had... Um, they, they just didn't use it. And I think I think it's a it's a good time to talk about the way we manage the game because uh, you know I think what Thomas Frank said after the match was absolutely spot on. You know what what would what would their manager have done in exactly the same situation as us? He would have done exactly the same. Okay, so exactly what you're talking about, Lainey, because again, some people out there might not know exactly what we're talking about. Well, we've been accused of kind of like winding the clock down, um, th- throwing throwing ourselves to the ground which I, I if I if I thought we'd done that then I I'd really I would have the hump as well but I don't think we did do that I think every player that went down um, went down with a legitimate industry uh, um, in, in, in injury and and do you not um, do you not do you not I mean you know I don't think you really believe that you do you, do you believe that mostly I believe it. I mean, mostly I believe it. I mean I'm you know I I hark back to thinking about the um, Nottingham Forest game when it was my last game at Griffin Park when Nottingham Forest done us 1-0 done a job on us I think they you know scored really early goalkeeper books in the first half were wasting time and I was absolutely seething and Wolves fans were doing the same but you know when it's us doing it and we win I don't care but I think we're a little bit we're kidding ourselves if we don't okay. believe that this you know we, we, we've had them there alright okay look we did what we had to do to win that game. We, took, we were two 0 up. We were under the cosh second half, and we just did what we had to do. And, and I, we, obviously, we weren't going to play that game at a thousand mile an hour like Wolves were. Wolves wanted to play that game like 
like there was like a, a, literally a thousand miles an hour because they had to catch up. We didn't have to do that. We just didn't have to. Um, you know, I, I, there was no blood capsules, was there? Uh, I mean, you can't deny. I mean, the way Pontus played the game, he, I mean, he was leading from the front when it comes to going down. But well, no, a little subplot was Thomas Frank getting himself booked, which I thought was brilliant. You know, looking at the all the yellow cards coming, even the managers got himself booked. The reason I was a little bit disappointed that Mbwemo didn't get a third goal, so I really wanted Thomas Frank to get a second yellow for taking the shirt off in celebrations. <laughs> I think we'd cheated out of that. That would have been uh, that would have been lovely. I mean, it obviously annoyed the Wolves fans so much they actually emailed. They like they actually went to the website, one of them, and emailed into Besotted and said, "You cheating, time-wasting bastards, anti-football." Don't take anything from beating us. Huddersfield did the double. Where are they now? Tony is just a barroom brawler. Very little skill, just like the rest of the Brentford team. Sour grapes, not just furious. My pension money has been wasted watching that trash your club served up in the name of football. As for the ref, must be happy he's on your payroll. Relegation back to the conference for your anti-football cheating lowlife along with your tin pot manager. So it's got to be said that I don't think he took it particularly well no he doesn't seem to think things at home don't seem to be going particularly happy for him at the moment um I'm, I'm, hopefully he can afford his heating after the the, the the energy hikes this year because he wasted a lot of money on our our tin pot um tin pot cheating bastards all that money he wasted he paid for 90 minutes and he only got about 43 minutes of actual football did he that's why i feel a bit guilty about that Indeed, I mean that is, and that is a, like I said, that is a, that is a massive point. But just seriously though, you're a bit dubious about the, the game management, even though you don't mind that it's happened. You didn't seem to notice it. No, I did. I, I, no, I did notice it. I'm not. I'm not worried about it. I, I just thought it was a, a mature, grown-up performance of a team that literally have just got promoted, and they need to take the sting out of the game. You know, we scored. It wasn't like we were just one nil up and we were protecting protecting the one goal we were we were trying to score more goals but it happened when they had a um, sustained period of pressure um, and we were tilted up when we started doing it we weren't we didn't start one we could have had four in the first half you know the stats showed that we created so many more goal scoring opportunities than they did they had more they had more bookings than us they were the ones scuffing up the penalty spot there was a lot of shithousing going on from them as well before the game had gone beyond their you know they could they couldn't get the game back by then and you know we we missed some sitters so uh, i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not worried about it no i mean the, the people that are jumping up and down are the salty, salty wolves fans and they can just do one and i i felt before the game like just reading a bit of preview social media i thought the wolves fan, i thought the mentality around wolves where they thought that they were gonna they, they felt unlucky previous to that and they were gonna give us a pumping on saturday i thought they walked it out thinking we're gonna smash these guys Four or five. There was, there, was a, there was a few out there saying today's the day we're going to give someone someone a good hiding, and it didn't happen. So it does suit the narrative of the manager, who's probably he's probably feels like he's he's really fluffed it. It suits him to say that the only reason we didn't win was because they cheated. Well, if you look a bit deeper, it's quite clear that that wasn't the case. Was well, we did cheat. Don't get me wrong, but uh, <laughs> we were a better team. <laughs> so listen, I mean, you talked about stats. I mean, we've got our own stats, man. We've got Will the spreadsheet winker and Will has been in his little lab. He's been pressing buttons and he's got all sorts and he's seen exactly what the stats are for that Wolves game. So listen, we're going to listen to what Will the spreadsheet talk, winker... Talking of cheating bastards. Yeah, well, we're going to see exactly what he had to say about that Wolves game and the stats that went down. Spreadsheet winker, it's a winker, 
So, what are the main takeaways from the Wolves game then? Firstly, the defence worked well for large portions of the game, conceding only three big chances, two of which were post-Baptiste sending off. Even so, the defenders did an excellent job to prevent these good chances becoming shots on target, pressuring the defenders so that they made mistakes instead. In fact, Wolves had zero shots on target the first time that's happened all season for them. So despite Wolves having excellent chances and good quality chances, our defenders were honest enough to stop those big chances being converted. Secondly, Burmo finally found his shooting boots, converting the massive 59% chance served up on a plate by Ivan Tony's pinpoint cross. And the adult was unlucky not to score in the 29th minute from a 36% chance well saved by the Wolves keeper. That eventually led to Tony's VAR disallowed non-goal, which was a very marginal decision. From where he was in front of the goal, had it not have been disallowed, it would have been a 50 plus percent chance itself. It would have added to our already impressive tally of 2.1 xG to Wolves' 1.45. And even after the red, we still created roughly 0.3 more xG. We didn't just shut up shop. And for large periods of the match when we were playing with 10 men, we didn't concede any shots at all. It's testament to excellent defensive work from midfielders and forwards, starting the defending from the front and not letting Wolves walk all over us. So there you have it, Will, the spreadsheet winker, talking about the stats from that Wolverhampton Wanderers game. And as you can hear, I mean, the fact is that, you know, we were dominant. You know, the fact is that also I didn't realise that. I didn't think about that. Ivan Tony, you know, the goal that he scored, because he didn't score it. I don't think it was chalked as a, a, it wasn't actually put onto the stats. Whereas, you know, where it was, you know, it would have been a massive number again if we'd actually got that goal. But because it was actually chalked off, it wasn't uh, for the handball, I think it was. It wasn't actually really counted. So we were ahead of, of Wolverhampton Wanderers before when we were 11 versus 11. We were ahead of Wolverhampton Wanderers when it was 10 versus 11. You know, they didn't have any shots on target. We were basically dominant in that game. Um, Ivan Tony had a bit between his teeth in that game. We were doing, honestly, we were on that next level. And the fact is that that makes me feel actually quite... I'm not going to say we're going to beat Liverpool. But, you know, Dan's just turned up here. He's at the bar here. He's getting the drinks. Lovely for Dan as well. Good geezer. Dan, actually, no. No, we're treating him, you know, because Liverpool fan comes all the way down for Liverpool to come on our podcast. We're going to treat them all like, you know. So, but E, you know... I'm a bit nervous about Liverpool, but now it makes me feel a little bit less nervous to see how we dealt with Wolves. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, sometimes the stats gets a bad, gets a bad press when it differs from what you see with your own eyes. Um, but the stats just kind of back up what we saw and what, and what we feel. Um, you know, I think the chatter around the, you know, the time time wasting or time management. I think I think it's just a bit of a smokescreen, you know. I, I, I think yeah, yeah, you know, it's something that we're going to do from time to time. But you know, you, you can't argue that we tried to win that game and and, and we did win that game. So you know, it, it's good to it's good to see it underlined with numbers. Everyone loves a number. Seventy four percent is my favourite. Apparently, it's seventy four percent. I mean, Jimmy, you know, listen, you saw it, you know, fair and square. You saw it. You you watched it on the box, so you heard what the commentators are saying. And I'm not very interested to hear what the commentators because we don't hear that obviously, you know. And I've not seen the replays back because you haven't had a chance to see the game back I mean what was the view back at home what were the commentators saying what kind of props were we getting or not getting yeah I, I did watch it home just for the record I've had BT Sport for seven months I've played every month this is the first time I've watched it Saturday, <laughs> but believe it or not so I had to keep my money's worth um, but yeah commentators at home I think were I mean you know there was a feeling about second half game management was mentioned a lot but I think generally people thought we'd done a job on Wolves I think that was the feeling a lot of talk about Tony being great uh, defence being solid um, you've got to look at the big chances I mean I think one thing which I want to see us improve is you know, I think Mbwemo has been brilliant when he's moved out and out centre forward in so many things 
he's, if, he's finished, if his finishing was just a bit better, he'd have four or five goals by now this season. And he would have had three at Wolves, um, as opposed to just a one. He, he scored the easiest chance, then maybe two others he, he, he missed, and the same could be said for Brighton. Um, so he had lots of big chances. The, the Tony um, Disler goal didn't even, didn't even count. Um, so, yeah, I think overall it was quite clear that we'd done a job on them and the best thing won by quite a way. And, yeah, it could have been more. So we just just on touching that and where my point, so pleased that he got a goal because we know he's a confidence fella and that goal was going to help him, you know, hopefully go into the Liverpool game with some confidence and, and, and do better for us in this period. Talk about goals and goals all the way. There were goals all the way last night when we played Oldham. Seven goals were put into the back of the net. We scored as early as the third minute. I think Oldham were meant to be some, doing some demonstration fourth minute, but I think the goal that we scored in third minute might have disrupted what was going to be going on. Again, we, you know, whatever's going on in Oldham, we, we, we give them our ultimate respect and we wish them very well in their future and hope they sort it out with their owner, which was uh, which is not great. But just coming back to the match there itself, you know, there was a couple of points because we looked at that game to see is there anybody who's going to maybe fit into the Brentford side? You know, and Laney, I'm just wondering, is there any Anybody that you thought maybe you should be knocking on the door still as uh, you know as a, as, a, as a proper substitute for our inverted commas first team. Well, uh, we did we did mention it, and I did mention it on the uh, in the post match on on Sunday was the fact that Marcus Force wouldn't have missed the chances that Brian and Buemo has missed this season, and if ever there was an advert for. Um, I'm ready, boss, if called upon. Uh, Marcus Force provided it last night. He's, cl- he's clinical. Um, he's, a, he's a natural finisher. Um, and it's no wonder some of the best teams in Europe are sniffing around him because if we're not going to use him, he, he showed that he, he's just there poaching. Um, so, you know, he's, he, he scored the goal for Finland that beat France in, uh, in, in Paris last year. He's, he's only Timo Pukki's keeping him out of the Finnish team. Pukki's probably a busted flush now, I'd say. So he's, he's, got, he's got a lot of years now as number one striker in, for Finland's international team. He needs to get regular starts for Brentford. And, you know, again, if, if Brian and Boimo is going to be wasteful, We've got Marcus Force, who doesn't seem to be as wasteful. So it's, it's he, he, he set his stall out well last night. Jimmy, anybody that you saw last night who you think should be knocking on that door? Uh, I mean, 11 players, right? There's a complete change from the weekend. So, I mean, excellent attitude for everybody. Um, I thought in particular, uh, obviously Force, four goals, man, deserves a mention, but that goes without saying. Uh, it was good to see Zanka come in. He looks like a um, hard tackler. He made a few really good challenges firm on on point you know precision tackles um, but I think Fosu deserves a mention you know we tried our best to get rid of him in, in the window and he must be really disappointed because he came on so much last year and he was one of probably two players last year they didn't deem good enough to make the step up Mark Hondes being one Fosu being the other really so he must be really disappointed but he's what what a professional performance he come in 90 minutes played really well uh, no, no sulk in there I think he's going to be an asset to the squad and for me, I'm, I'm going to have to. I'm going to pick out Wiesa because Wiesa seems to love that cup. He scored a brilliant goal against Forest Green. He scored. A, he should, he's hit the post against there, so he should have got a hat trick. Okay, came off and of course forced to post, post it in the back of the net. Then he scored that second goal, which you know, which he did really well. But the, was it the third, the goal? Seven. Sorry, first goal, the seventh goal that he scored. And if you ain't seen it, this overhead kick that he did, that was on another level. And you can see he's a proper skillful player. Obviously, he still needs to kind of get the rustiness off him. But you can see that when he goes, he just like switches on and then the ball just doesn't move from his feet and he's a very very skillful player and it's this is a bit of a niche comment but anyone's on instagram right Wissu does his celebration like a kind of sort of um like a buddhist type or yoga move type celebration 
and there's a there's an emoji which is exactly like the celebration. Did that come first, or as, because the goal was so good, have Instagram paid him tribute within 24 hours and created a Visa emoji? I think the latter. I think we're going to have to ask him if we see him anyway. So listen, we're, we're, we've talked about the Wolves game, we've talked a bit about the Oldham game, like you know, but we've got a big game on Saturday. We've got Liverpool coming down for the first time in oh Jesus, 40 years maybe, something ridiculous like that. Listen, we've got we've got a special guest. We're going to announce him in a minute. And we've got a special guest coming up. We're going to go away. We're going to have a drink. We're going to come back and we're going to talk all about Liverpool. So we've got Liverpool coming to New Griffin Park on Saturday. But to get us in the mood, first of all, what we're going to do, because well, I get told them, we had all sorts of record breakers going on and we thought, that's it, to pick us up. Let's talk about some record breaking stuff. we got JB and JB always makes us feel good. So before we start talking about Liverpool, let's go over to JB and see what JB has to say about his facts and his funk. Jonathan Birchall here again. Well, it was a record-breaking night against Oldham. Previously, our record score in the League Cup when keeping a clean sheet was just 3-0. The 7 is the most we've scored in any cup competition since the 7-1 over Gainsborough Trinity in 2003 in the FA Cup. As Marcus Force becomes the first Brentford player ever to take home a match ball from a League Cup tie in 62 years, he also became our top goalscorer in this competition, equaling Gary Blissett's 9. He was the first player to score four since Mike Gorella against Bournemouth in the JPT ten years ago, and only the 18th lead player to score that many in a regular League or Cup game. Having scored seven against Luton in the last Griffin Park season, and seven against Wickham last season, it's the first time since we joined the Football League in 1920, excluding the war years, that we've ever scored seven in three successive seasons. Thomas Frank also became the first manager or head coach to take us to the fourth round twice. Andy Scott and Fred Callahan are the only others to do it once. One record didn't fall was our record League Cup home attendance, and that still remains the 17,859 back in 1983 at Griffin Park, created the last time we entertained Liverpool. So there you go, JB with his facts and his funk, and like I said, the record breaker is Marcus Force, is your man in there as well, the top goal scorer in the League Cup, actually. Um, I think ever for Brentford yeah for, for Brentford that's quite amazing isn't it and it's the first time that someone has scored a hat-trick I think it was no four goals since since who can you remember in the League Cup or in any cup what I'm saying? yeah yeah I mean I can't remember it was Grella wasn't it Mike Grella you're the American who went over to Red Bull Phil I'm a bit disappointed no one's come out with first first half hat-trick stats you know I, I need to know who was the last Brentford player to score a hat-trick in the first half no one he, he's let us down yeah, it's true. He has let us down, and and also there's a, there's another stat as well because we we scored three. We got seven goals. We scored seven goals in three seasons running as well, haven't we? We scored against Luton. We scored against Wickham Luton two seasons ago. Scored at Wickham last season, and we scored against Oldham this season. So I don't know if any team has scored seven goals in three seasons running. Jimmy, do you know? I've no idea, mate. I've no idea at all. But I do remember this side Ben Rama masterclass against Luton. That's right. So listen, but anyway, that night you, because we are very, very pleased that we got our special guest in the house. We got Dan from the massive, the brilliant, the award-winning, the Anfield Rap podcast in the house. How are you doing, Dan? 
I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Now, listen, thanks for coming down, man. You come all the way down from Liverpool just to be on our podcast. <laughs> we feel so honoured, man. You know what I'm saying? Tell you something. How, how long did it take you? I mean, the train, did did they get delayed or anything like that? You know. I mean, it's it's taken me three months if I'm taking the time I've lived in London. So um, I come. I've obviously seen this in the, in the foresight. Knew I'd be on here one day. So you moved, um, you moved to London for this specifically for this podcast. Yeah, and I, I knew. I thought when Brentford come up, I thought right, I need to move to London just in case this day comes. Something. You knew, you knew there's something about you, Liverpool people. Man, you got foresight, you got heart, and you like a good beer as well. Like you know what I'm saying. So listen, Dan. I mean, listen. We we. I mean, we've got loads to talk about. But you know, we've got limited time because we know that you Liverpool people man you just like to do deviate you chop your time up and you you were going to be somewhere else quite soon probably kind of on the red carpet somewhere but that's no problem at all man first of all we want to say that we want to talk you know thanks for coming down um this is the first time that we if I remember rightly have played Liverpool for a good sort of kind of 30 odd years isn't it you know um yeah 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 so so basically eight 89. 90, yes, sorry, sorry. So we're so used to this time-wasting thing, you know. The, 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 Wolf, once we go up to Wolverhampton, you time-waste there. You just time-waste everywhere. I was like, Brentford fans, you watch it. When you go to the bar later, man, they're going to be taking about four hours just to pull you a pint, you know what I'm saying? My pension money's getting wasted here, mate. Come on, let's get That's right. You as well. God, don't you start. But anyway, 1989. We went up on a double-decker bus up to Liverpool. You went on your coach to Liverpool. Brentford fans, six thousand of us, went to Anfield. It was the biggest game of our lives. I, I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was absolutely fantastic. And Liverpool had a fantastic team in them days, wasn't it? Really, really, you know, was it, you know, Rush and just, you know, Beardsley and all those characters there. Like, you know, it was a fantastic team. Um, and that's that's the last that we've ever played in Liverpool, but it, it really made a mark. I mean, I know that you, you remember that team. That was a that was a big era for Liverpool. That was that was Liverpool's big era, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Liverpool have gone through the decades and and been so dominant, but there's there's quite a quite a strong comparison among Liverpool supporters and, and folklore about that that eighty eight eighty nine team being quite similar to the one now. You think of Beardsley, Barnes, and Aldridge that sort of front three that they had and then they had a lot of people doing legwork behind them McMahon was in there um, Steve Nichol was a great player at that time they had big fullbacks who could bomb on so they, they, there was there's quite a few comparisons to this modern side within that side and I think there is a, there's a notion amongst amongst Liverpool supporters that that team got broke up too early obviously that was the year that Hillsborough went on to happen it was in the FA Cup obviously that the competition that you come down for but yeah, that, that obviously had a massive impact on that team and, and led to, you know, different things, not just that, but different things led to, to that team not, not seeing out its full potential, I think, is, is the, the resound and feeling about it because it, it was a great team to watch back. I mean, I was only young, but watching it back, it was fantastic. It could cut teams apart. And, and it's, it's interesting because we did a we did a whole podcast as well. It's on besotted.com or pridewest.london. If you check out besotted Twitter, if you check out the, the the information box to this as well, we put a link to it. But it's a really interesting podcast where we got the fans who went to the game. We've also got the players who who played in that game as well, who talked about it, talked about when they walked out and they saw the cop, they heard the cop when they're playing against people like Beardsley and Barnes and the feeling and the thoughts. You know, Alan Cockrum is an absolute character, definitely worth checking out. Both Bees fans and Liverpool fans, just checking that out from that podcast. There. In fact, we've just got a little clip from that podcast if you want to check that out right now. There was a mob of Brentford supporters there banging and cheering. I remember that moment. And the greatest thing, guys, I've got to tell you, 
was the iron, the raw iron gates opening up for the, the coach to come in with you'll never walk, walk alone on it. I think the, the players, I think I've got some photographs, the old Polaroid Instamatics of us on the coach, I'll have to dig them out, um, of that moment and just that feeling of you were walking into this gladiatorial stadium. You, you know, it's a bit like uh, Russell Crowe in Gladiator, you know, where the portcullis comes up. And he goes out into this, into this, uh, into this stadium. It's kind of how we felt, or I felt as a player, to go to a place like Anfield, and not only to go to a place like Anfield, but to actually see the mighty B supporters in that same euphoric space. Coming out at Anfield is a cauldron. You meet very tightly in the tunnel. And we was told by an official that it's quite disrespectful to touch the this is Anfield sign as the opposition. Um, bit of a red rag to a ball to me. Um, and there's one actual, I think there's one match of the day shot of me coming out of the tunnel, poking my tongue out and actually touching, reaching up and touching the this is Anfield sign. Like a little kid, isn't it? Being told not, you, know, you can't do that or whatever. Um, that was it. But then actually, guys, I can't tell you, running up and out into the Brentford end, was one of the greatest moments of my life to see it was the do you know what it was you know when they sing you'll never walk alone at Anfield you know even as a non-Liverpool supporter you get that you get that kind of hairy vibe about this um you'll never walk alone well that was for us Brentford going up to the bees supporters and also seeing my mates I saw my mates in the bottom left hand corner five of them and I went straight over there chatting to them stretching on the on the on the um, advert while I'm talking to him and having a chat, just wanted to convey that that the players, or certainly me and the and the players that I've spoken to about it, was that it was one of the most amazing experiences of their life. So there you go, Alan Cochran, what a character he was, like, you know, and just talking about the old days at Liverpool, you know, which was that big team at Liverpool, which we could have gone 1-0 up, and we missed the fluff that Richard Cadet in the second minute, he, he didn't score the goal, and then Liverpool came back and battered us 4-0, and they were a great side, but still a great day out as well, and also I remember, Lane, we were talking about Liverpool, we are going old school Liverpool, but before that, and it's one of my earliest memories of Brentford, when we played Liverpool in the Milk Cup as well, and uh, we got battered that day as well, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Well, we equalised at least. Yeah, it was 1983, and I, I remember I remember that fairly vividly. I mean, I, my dad took me to the game, and I, I remember vividly driving down the Great West Road towards Griffin Park, and we, we pulled up at Gillette Corner, and you could see the glow of the floodlights at Griffin Park, and I was so excited that Liverpool were coming to Griffin Park, and we queued around the, the stadium to get our tickets, um, there was officially 17,500 in there. There was at least 25,000 in that stadium that night. They just opened the doors, didn't they? Just let everyone in because yeah, the yeah. queues were so big. It, it, it was, it, it was a, the, the capacity at the time was like 30, and it, it, it was it was close. I mean, there, there was no space in there. Um, so the, the official attendance doesn't doesn't you know reflect how many were in there. We lost 4-1. You know, again, it was a, a really great Liverpool team. Grobelar, Steve Nicholl, Alan Kennedy, Mark Lawrenson, Craig Johnson, Alan Hansen, Kenny Dalgleish, Sammy Lee, Ian Rush, Michael Robinson, Graham Souness, all household names, like all of them household names. Um, and, you know, our team, Trevor Swinburne, Terry Rowe, Danny Salmon, Jim McNichol, Alan Whitehead, Ron Harris, Chris Kamara, Francis Joseph, Tony Mahoney, Terry Bullivant, 
Gary Roberts, and it was Gary Roberts that scored the equaliser at the Ealing Road end, and it was bedlam. It was absolutely bedlam. And I still, I still remember Robinson falling over for a penalty, and and we cheat, cheat, che- he did, he cheat, and time wasting probably. <laughs> And um, that's where we learned it from, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was it was formed that night, formulated that night. But it was a little bit after we had the fire at Griffin Park, and um, it was humbling because there was porter cabins in in the Ealing Road, and uh, both teams had to get changed in basically a circus tent, and uh, it, it, it was a bit it was a bit odd, you know. If you fan, Brentford fans of a certain age will remember coming in through this cage that linked the car park at the Ealing Road end halfway through it was like it, it cut the Ealing Road terrace in half and then they came out and it was just the least glamorous setting for Liverpool at the time so uh, you know Saturday is going to be a little bit more salubrious yeah, and then I mean obviously I mean again another Liverpool team I mean again obviously you may not remember them to play as such but you know them back in history and that was the big team wasn't it Oh God, yeah. I mean, you reel them names off there, and you just, yeah, each one household, isn't it? And and you know, I had to grow up with my half fella telling me that Zagalish was the greatest player he'd ever seen, that Sunes was the hardest player he'd ever seen, that you know, Steve Nichol was the most underrated player he'd ever seen, and and no one I could watch could compare. So um, yeah, I've only got the videos, unfortunately. But yeah, what a side eh? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and just talking about Liverpool, I mean, let's just bring it a bit more up to date because obviously Liverpool, um, they were the team in around they were talking about the eight and the nineties. They were the team, and then they were sort of superseding. I don't want to say it, but you know, there were other teams from down the road who started to do a few things, and Liverpool kind of just sort of kind of backed off a little bit. But in the last years, Liverpool has, in effect, they've risen up again and they've become a real force within within, within British football and within European football. And you could even say within world football, haven't they? I think I think we. We've got a manager who gets it first and foremost, and he, he sees what he saw what he could do with the city, with the supporter base, and with the club. And you know, we're, we're a club who loves it. We love it. We love a romantic story. We love you know we love a fairy tale. And he massively seen that, bought into it, um, got the people around him he needed. Just a just a really pragmatic, um, sensible approach to managing Liverpool Football Club because. You know, you've seen. I've seen managers down the years where the jobs killed them. Looks like it's aged them ten years in one, um, and it can become a massive, a massive burden. What Jurgen Klopp's done at this club, it looks simple, but it really hasn't been. Um, he he understands he understands how to grasp the concept of what Liverpool is and how to take it forward, and he's taken it on a journey, which is what we want. Liverpool. I've never wanted the sort of fly-by-night management, the sort of fly-by-night uh, ownership and investment, if you like, even though it does frustrate some parts of the fan bases. They want to feel like they can do it in inverted commas the Liverpool way, and that's always not always helpful to look at it in that way, but Klopp's massively... He signposted that, made it his own, and everyone's bought into it across the, across the fan base. I like the way um, Jurgen Klopp, the more successful you become, the whiter his teeth get. I mean that's that's Liverpool life. So yeah, he's uh, he's, he's losing the glasses, he's whitening the teeth. He's uh, same happened with Brendan. So um, yeah, he's, he's obviously going back in the years rather than forward. I'm going to ask you, and, and you may not know this, but you know that you're actually very lucky to have uh, Jurgen Klopp because he, he almost didn't come to Liverpool. You, you know that, don't you? 
You're going to tell me he nearly came to Brentford. He almost came to Brentford, you know. So Jurgen, yes, Jurgen Kopp was. He, he had words. Matthew Benham had words. In fact, I can't remember what the odds were. I think Jimmy, you were going to put some money on it, weren't you? Yeah, it got down in, in a very strange day. Um, it got down to under five to one at one point for Klopp to join Brentford, and uh, it, I mean, I, I, I strongly believe that if we get the result on um, on Saturday, he might be with us by Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and, and you've heard it here first, people, as well. We've got Dykhausen instead. That's so. right, that's right. So, yeah, we didn't quite get Clark. We got Dykhausen, who lasted, he lasted eight games as well. But we're still trying to dig out the, 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 the sheet, you know. I'm sure the bookies will have it somewhere, you know. Have you? We got it. We definitely got it somewhere. But the, the odds were fairly short, actually. It wasn't like 80 to 1. We're talking about sort of kind of like, I, I saw 10 or 12 to 1. I was, I was going to put a fiver on it, but, you know, I, I, I fluffed it. I mean, I, I, what, do you, what do you say about that? What year was it? This was like this is like yeah. 2015, just after just after yeah. Mark Mark uh, Mark Warburton left, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think there was a conversation that happened, but obviously he said fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it, it genuinely, it doesn't surprise me looking at how Brentford have been run in the in the past few years, the the ethics behind it, the way in which they scout players and stuff. It's got that type of model behind it, so it doesn't doesn't necessarily surprise me. Um, maybe a little bit surprised given the success he had at Dortmund, um, but you know. Oh, oh, oh Jimmy, Jimmy's on this. Yeah, I've, I've found the sheet. So I got down to three to one in uh, in one unique day. It looks like because he had he had a meeting with Matthew Benham. Whether it was just to learn about a club or just... no, 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 you're you're, you're sort of trying to sort of, you're trying to sort of soften the story now. It, basically, he had a meeting and he was going to come to Brentford. Yeah, he was he was definitely going to come, but um, we decided we didn't want him. <laughs> I don't know. No, it was three to one. It's, I mean, it's an incredible uh, story, really, to think where he's ended up. Uh, it's like a tweet that went round, and like this, like the time Evertonians believed that they were signing fucking Raquel May or someone. It was eleven year old on Twitter, just like having them on, winding them up. I think it's something similar to this. Yeah, you want to believe that as well. I mean, so we're talking about your manager potentially coming to us as well. But you did have a player that came to us, you know, and you and you definitely had a player that's come to us from Liverpool as well, Sergi Canos. And again, you probably know a little bit about Sergi. Yeah, Sergi Canos was was quite prominent in the youth setup around when Rafa Benitez was at Liverpool. I think he came to Liverpool under Benitez. Very highly thought of, but quite a few of the the Spaniards who came in to the academy at that time were, and I've gone on to to forge decent careers. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Liverpool model in recent years has been one in which the more successful they've got, the more they've looked at bringing players through the ranks, um, getting decent fees for them, seeing them go on and having a decent career at Premier League level or maybe Championship level is all round generally seen as a good thing. It's seen as something that's productive, seen as it's something good on both sides, it helps the players' development, it helps the club generate some funds, whereas when Liverpool weren't doing as well, there was a question mark around the academy, sort of bearing the fruits of the next Steven Gerrard, Michael Owen, and that's incredibly difficult, as we know, but there was a little bit more pressure on it to to produce first-team players for Liverpool. I mean, the ironic thing now is that now they are doing well, we're, we're cheering players out by the minutes, it seems, who can play in our first team, but for Canos and a few others, it was a case that they never looked like they were really going to make it for us, but we'll get a decent career somewhere else, and that seems to have, have come, come across. So, Willem, will, I mean, Liverpool always strikes as a club that seems to remember its own and look out, look out for its own. I mean, would, would there be any kind of reception for Canos? Would they remember him, the Liverpool fan base? I mean, did he do anything? I don't really know. I, 
think, I think they'll be fine with him, yeah. I don't think he'll get any sort of special commendation. I think he, he might get a little clap if he comes to the away end, take a throw-in or something like that. Um, and unless he starts acting the goat, yeah, I think everyone will be generally fine with him. Do, do you know? I mean, do you know? I don't know if you know anything about Canos because the one thing about Canos, obviously, he came to us on loan first of all. Uh, I think it was during, I think it was during the war. Was it Warburton era? I think it might have been, or maybe just after. But he was very, very young at the time. But the one thing that we did notice about him is enthusiasm. He was. He just enthused. You could just feel the enthusiasm coming out for him. He loved it. He, you know, he would tweet. He would tell about how happy he was if the game went well. If it didn't went well, he just enthused. You know, he's almost like a pretty much a bag kissing type player. You know, and he and he, and and the fans loved him. And when he decided, when we decided, actually, we couldn't afford to buy him. Or we didn't fall to buy him, but when we, uh, I think something, I can't remember what happened, but he ended up going to Norwich, didn't he? He ended up going to Norwich, and we were really gutted that we didn't buy him. We went to Norwich and they shelved him. I think they went up to the Premier League and then they just, they bought him, didn't use him, and they shelved him, and we were gutted. So all the Brentford fans were going, come to Brentford, come to Brentford. So he was chatting to them, so he kind of he interacted with them, and then he in the end said, look, I want to come back to Brentford. We made the move, he bought him for 2.5 million, he's come back, and again, that enthusiasm from him was there. I mean, he's a, he, he's a really infectious character, isn't he, Laney? Yeah, he's, he's, an, he's an incredible professional and he's a, lo- a lovely bloke and um, I'm, I'm so glad that it's worked out at Brentford. He, he, he fed off, the, you know, it, it's, it's a quite a, it's quite an emotional um, relationship, he, but he fed off the love and, 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 I, and I genuinely feel, feel like he is a player that, um, that vibes off of the crowd. We, we realised that when there was empty stadiums, he wasn't performing as well and then that Blackburn game where he, he you know, he... he, he come back from his, his knee ligament problems um, and, he, and he started he scored that wonder goal and he cried on the pitch um, and it was it was just he's someone that shouldn't and doesn't hide his emotions um, he's a very modern footballer he's a very modern man and um, I, th- I think he really suits the modern Brentford and I, I just I just I'm just so delighted that he's taken to the premiership like a duck to water and he will be looking forward to the, the game against Liverpool. Um, he, he still owns a restaurant in, in, in Liverpool. And he, he, it's, it's, it's a city that's played a, a, a central part in his, in his life. So, yeah, I, I, I love having Sergi as a, as a B. And he's a player who, uh, you know, we, sort of, we say it, manners. He's a player who, you know, respects the town of Brentford he's always out and about in the pubs and the restaurants his sister and mum socialise with the people around there I'm just really pleased that you know he seems like a, he really seems like a good fella and out of all the team that made the step up he was probably let's be honest one of the ones that he never he didn't know was going to happen because his position wasn't clear but for some reason he's found himself at like the right wing back they wanted to get a new one they couldn't but he's made it his own his first few games so I'm delighted for him I just hope that Liverpool uh, when he's been down injured for the seventh time in the second half, I hope Liverpool fans will cut the break. <laughs> hope they don't do a Wolverhampton Wanderers. And like I said to you, the key is, like I said to you, he's a left he's a left winger who's currently playing right wing back at the moment now, and uh, and he's doing a fabulous job because his heart is on his sleeve, as he say. But the question I'm going to ask you though is that I mean I know that you go up to Liverpool all the time, you go and see the game. You know, Sergi, you know, his spiritual home is at Liverpool. He's got his restaurant Gracias just off Penny Lane. Are you and the the Liverpool posse going to go down to Gracias and have a little bit of tapas with? Uh, Sergi and the family. 
I mean, I'd love to. I've never been. I didn't even know it was a thing. Uh, I think I've passed it a couple of times. Um, but yeah, didn't know it was Sergi's. So yeah, this is uh, this is new to me. I, I think. I think. Listen. Gracias. Of very late, like you know, it's in my ear and in my heart and all this kind of stuff. But I think that what you need to do is when you go in there, just say Sergi sent me, right? And you'll be sorted. You know, just say Sergi sent me. Bring the boys. Bring the Liverpool. Bring the Anfield rap crew, and you'll be laughing. Let's not forget, mate. We're a bang in the middle of Liverpool there, so I think they've had the fair few, uh, the fair few attempts at flags of uh, Sergi sent me. So uh, listen, if I say if I say the Brentford lad sent me, I might get something. Say the Besotted crew sent you. You eat, you eat, you listen, mate. This is exactly, exactly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, we've talked about you know success, which is obviously Sergi Canos for us. We also had a player who wasn't quite as successful, and some people probably have forgotten as well. João Carlos Texiera. Do you do you remember him at all? Yeah, I remember Tashira, yeah. He was he was part of a couple of players who came in and he one of those urban myths who no one has ever seen, but apparently he was just going to be the, the biggest thing. I think Danny Pacheco is still tipped to be one of the next big Liverpool things. Uh, he's about 40 now. <laughs> <laughs> he's still better than Andy Carroll. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, yeah. Forget Andy Carroll, please. Yeah. Tashira, yeah, I mean, I don't think he made many appearances. Seems to remember him making a couple in the League Cup. But yeah, he, he wasn't the best. He was uh, very easily knocked off the ball, from what I remember. I don't know how he did it, you guys. Yeah, so I remember, I mean, he, he came to us and, uh, and, and and he came with, again, it was that, that era where we were just trying out new things and we were trying to bring in all these new players. And we've got this Texiera again. This is the early days of us, you know, our stats thing where, listen, we were very good at the stats thing, but we were also experimenting very much. We were massively experimenting. We brought the geezer in. I remember he played a couple of games. I think he played a game at home, but then he played a game up at Tranmere, which was loose. Stag weekend, and that was a mad, mad weekend. It was, and I think after the game, I saw him outside the game, and I tried to interview him with his excited uh, interview as we did, and his agent, like you know, he sort of kind of like you know, he sort of back, pushed me away, like he was like flipping you know Messi or something like that, you know, and it, and he was awful as well. He was terrible, wasn't he? Yeah, all, all uh, Lionel Messi comparisons went went. They sailed off down the Mersey that night. They got washed away to the sea, um, as Dan said, he was. It was like an urban myth arriving to the club. It was like this, well, we've got, we've got Tixieri. Guys, calm down, we've got Tixieri, calm down. <laughs> it was going to be a big game changer. And it's just, it's just, he puts a shirt on and it was like, um, it was like uh, one, one, of the, one, of the, one of the player's sons had turned up, pushed off the ball like it was not, like wasn't there. If the wind blew too much, he was, on, he was falling over. It might have been like one of those, those Graham Souness when he, when he signed that player that he, he thought was somebody else and somebody rang him up and said, it was one of those ones, wasn't it? Right, yeah, the Ali Dyer of Merseyside. I don't know, but yeah, it was uh, awful. Um, but yeah, it'll go down in folklore as the, you know, that, that confusion. Rubbish. You're just rubbish. Yeah, maybe you won't. I heard the, uh, the club shop had a surplus of X's and uh, they, they, needed, they needed a player with an X in their surname and, and he fitted the bill but, but it was a time where we were taking loan players and, and that shows you how we progressed you know, we, we, we'll only take a loan player now in an emergency we, we've worked out our business model is there is no value in, in, in developing a player for someone else so um, you know, we, we would only have bought him now and uh, 
we wouldn't have bought him on, on the performances he played for Brentford. No, no. And also there's one last player as well, which we thought was a bit of a peculiar one. We had a player who, as, you, as people may know, Liverpool fans may or may not know, we, we, we scrapped our academy system because basically big teams like Man United and Man City kept on nicking our decent players before they got to the age of signing. And we set up a B team, which basically going around the world, playing against people like Real Madrid and Celtic and Rangers and that, and trying to play sort of kind of tough football. I mean, we, again, have got another besotted podcast, as you do, we decided to go over to Dundalk on a Wednesday night to go and watch our B team play Dundalk on a on a February night, which was quite bizarre. But it was great. We had a great night. I mean, they just didn't. They did, yeah, they didn't. They didn't lock the pubs. They just the pubs stayed open all night on a Wednesday night in Dundalk. We had a great, and it was uh, it's funny because the game was like an FA Cup final. You know, our B team was playing Dundalk in a pre-season, and it was like. Blood and thunder. It was mad. But, you know, this B team, as we said, we had a number of players coming out for it. Marcus Force has come through it. You know, Mads Beck Sorensen's come through it. We've had a number of key first team players have come through it as well. But there's this one player who was scoring goals for fun. And we couldn't understand why he didn't get in the first team. A guy called Joe Hardy. He scored untold goals for our B team. We thought he must be coming through. He must be coming through. We invited Thomas Frank down the pub, as we do. We invite everyone down the pub. He sat down there, came on our podcast. We talked to us about it. And on the podcast, you can check it, Pride of West London, he went, no, Joe Cardi, no, 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 I think he's got to go. And we were like, I don't know if you should be telling this on the podcast. But he says, no, no, Joe Cardi, no, that's all right. He's not right for us. And within two weeks, he'd gone. And he... And he went to Liverpool, and we were completely confused. Do, do you know anything about the Joe Hardy affair? Yeah, I, I think I know from a Liverpool perspective, they wanted to bring someone in who could basically play at under-21 level or under-23 level and aid the development of the likes of Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, who were playing at that level. They were getting, they were, they were, they were finding not a lot was sticking up top at under-23 level. So they wanted someone who could act as a bit of a fulcrum, would never make a first-team appearance, but knew what it was about at sort of lower league, under-23, second second division level, um, who could do a job in that sort of spectrum. So Joe Hardy fitted the bill, and apparently he did well for that for that job role, but he came in and the local the local media brief was, this, this guy will never make a first-team appearance. He's basically been brought in to aid the development of others and he seemed alright with it to be honest but that's that's the reason from what I know from our side how he came to join Liverpool okay, that's, I mean, that's quite interesting because that's a sort of a, a different scenario because again the feeling was that he should have just gone straight to non-league gone to straight lower league football I mean I think he's signed for a non-league team now straight afterwards isn't he yeah I think so yeah I mean but I mean it's true to form what's happened to him how he's how he's gone um, but by all accounts I mean he got a couple of goals for us at that level and and you know, if it, if it did help the development and, it, and he feels like it was a good move for him, then you know, he's got Liverpool on his CV regardless, yeah, hasn't he? You know? As I say, he's got Liverpool on his CV and it, that does make sense. You, know, you, you have to kind of find a way of getting the best out of the players that you know 100% are going to make it. And if you're going to bring players in to sort of better that team and give them a better chance, then, uh, then I fully understand. We, 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 we 100% do that in our B team as well. If we if we know that we need you know two two more experienced defenders, either side of a, a centre back that's probably going to come through. With you know it, it makes sense to do that. It reminds me of the player Ryan Williams we we signed the, again the mythical Ryan Williams who was really good at set pieces but nothing else. So they brought him in basically to do the set piece in training to whip in the free kicks to help the defenders clear the ball or, or the attackers you know go for goal. But he joined on the on the knowledge that you're never going to play but you're going to be a great training asset. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, just, just talking about, because again, listen, we've got you, a Liverpool fan, you're a part of, like I said to you, the Anfield rap, you've got the spirit of Shankly, you know, you've got so many fan groups and so many people, I mean, I know a lot of Liverpool fans, you know, a lot of my mates, I mean, the, one of the guys I go to England games, Spanish Dave as well, and I've got to give him a shout, also Harpreet Biscuits as well, England fan, I'm a Liverpool fan, there's so many Liverpool fans that no, everybody knows, but you've got, you've got, you've got like a fan culture, a fan movement thing, which is very different from, from other fans movements haven't you um, I don't know I mean what in particular do you know what in particular no, I just wonder just the way that you are and how you I mean I know the, the way that you approach your game I mean it's it's very Liverpool it kind of is bred out of the town itself and I think a lot of the culture and a lot of the ethos of, of, of the town of Liverpool itself isn't it yeah absolutely I mean I think that that's very fair um, and it's look it's a city and a football club that's, that's had to deal with it quite a bit of trauma and and it's sometimes not always uh, conducive to a positive in the sense of how it reacts to certain things now. Um, the sort of Liverpool Republic, if you like, that is created. Um, and I say this completely as someone who's immersed in that, you know, I think it, it does help in respect to the football team and creating that unique sort of us against the world atmosphere that we need for, for the big occasions and, and making us what we are under Jürgen Klopp but you know in general the city is you know it, it, it's been a complicated place over the last 30 years in particular and and I think the football clubs of both football clubs in the city represent so much about the day to day life of Liverpool and, and you know they sort of wear its struggles and wear its beauty and wear its it's good and bad and in that sense so you do feel it. You do feel it's it's unique, and, and you do feel it's very much uh, it's very much set by certain ideologies, and it, it does have a culture, and it can't get away from that. And I wouldn't want it to because it makes it what it is. A lot of people hate that, but you know, it, it's. But when you say a lot of people like that, what, what, what people? Not from within. You mean outside of? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. There's, there's, there's. That's just that's just football, isn't it? In the modern day, and, and not even in the modern day. That's just football. That's that's. Football's so wrapped up in in culture, in in tribalism, in everything. So, yeah, it's people will take umbrage with with things they don't like, and and football clubs they don't like, and and there'll be by byproducts and things that are, are associated with that. So, you accept it, but you know the, the there's different elements of that, isn't there? And and Liverpool have to be the way they they are because they wouldn't they couldn't have it another way in many senses. They have to be that unique thing of 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 Liverpool because that's the way it's always been with them it's just how it is but I mean you do things like say for example you'll, you, you as a club and as the fans you'll be very very vocal and very very proactive in say for example um in, in your food bank collection things setting up things for people who are disadvantaged you know at all times you know what I'm saying refugee and again this is nothing to do with politics as such this is to do with kind of humane and and I thought that is actually quite it's quite powerful and the fact that you know you've got football fans who listen you support your team but you're also really motivated for doing things for other people who are probably not as advantaged as yourself yeah and I think you know I think that that's that's massive and it's it's a massive part of the culture but I think also what we've seen over the last few years is we've got footballers who are starting to recognize that starting to work with it starting to acknowledge it and starting to use their own platforms to get involved with it and and I think you know, you'll know yourselves. The thing, the collective has to be right. 
you have to have a football team you can get behind you have to have a, a culture and ethos that feels right you have to feel like you're investing your time your club your your money your energy into something that, that represents you in some form you know Neil from the Anfield Rap the host he, he always says you know he always reminds us that football is in fact a leisure activity and it's something we do in our spare time as a hobby and you know you sometimes have to sort of scale that back and remind yourself of that because it's so you know it's like I say it's so tribal it's so so emotional that sometimes you, you, you're finding that you, you may be losing the thread of why you wanted to be in it in the first place but over the past few years yeah Liverpool has collectively and I will put the manager the players the club are getting better they're not perfect but the club as well um, I've recognised that, that there are hardships around the city there's definitely hardships around Anfield you know Liverpool Football Club could be better neighbours in Anfield. They're a lot better than what they were, but you know they could still do a lot more. I think, as could Everton. Um, and we need to just keep going on that journey, especially with everything that's happened in the last 16 months or so. Um, we know that across the board now, it's going to be a collective pull to get through. And the, the Premier League football, it's got a massive say in that. It can't be disparate. It can't be separated. It's it's got working class people coming through its doors every single week and we've seen last season when those people weren't present just how much of it was missing as a as a as a viewership as a as a concept as a spectacle the whole thing just looked lesser than the sum of its parts a year, i mean a year ago we obviously had talk of super league um, how 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 did you as a fan group or how did you with other fan groups kind of react to that because that was obviously a threat to our we, we felt as a, as, as a smaller club or a club that was kind of knocking on the door of the top flight, that was a threat to our very survival. That if there was no way that we were ever going to be able to get to, you know, or, or the top flight that we were going to get to was going to be a diluted, awful version of the one we thought. But how did you see the Super League as a threat to your, fan, your fanhood? Obviously, we didn't want it. Obviously, we valued the concepts of of the competition as as it is, and it's what we've all grown up on. And it's not like we are, you know, somehow entwined with the boardroom. But what what you can see from how things went with Liverpool down the years is that you could see that the ownership, who I, in the main, I think, are decent, even though they they were part of this and they were still quite strongly a leader in it, quite clearly. They, they were very frustrated with TV rights money. So they couldn't understand how everybody was getting equal shares of, of the TV rights for things that were completely skewed towards fixture changes and demand around Liverpool. They couldn't understand um, they couldn't understand the concept of different things and different elements in and around that. Um, FFP was frustrating for them. They didn't think it was a fair playing field in in general as it, as it was so I don't understand I don't sort of sympathise with them I don't understand why they did what they did but you could see it was on the cards you could see that they they saw that there was a split that wasn't sort of proportionate to what Liverpool were getting I mean parachute payments is another one no one at Liverpool at boardroom level understands parachute payments because they, they're not involved in it right they, they operate at the top of the echelons others operate at the bottom and they, I think they feel that separation should be greater or there should at least be an equal split. And when you see that Chelsea and Man City can go out and splurge what they want in a summer, no one can really bat an eyelid 
it does sort of water down the concept of like Gary Neville banging the equality and socialism drum when the Super League's getting mentioned because if FFP is so knackered and if no one's regulating what these clubs are doing, then it's not a fair playing field anyway, and it's not equal. And and for, for the main part, FSG have tried to do things right. You know, Liverpool's net spend has been incredible, and they've managed to to do things with analytics and and with the management and the coaching as well. It's got to be said um, that has just sort of skewed the narrative massively, which meant they haven't gone on to spend hundreds of millions and haven't had to every summer. I think what they'd like is a bit more equality and I think for them it just became a case of this is just really frustrating um, and they saw that as the way out which was wrong and we, we've pulled them on on the times they've been wrong and they've been wrong a few times where if there is a big criticism criticism of them in Liverpool it's that they act without speaking to the, the supporter bases around them you mentioned Spirit of Shankly you mentioned us, you mentioned other fan groups if if half the time they would just come to us first and say, what do you think of this? They would get an informed answer rather than just pulling the trigger and then making themselves look daft by redacting on it, which they've done, let's say, four or five times in four or five years with different things. It's, and and just, just, just briefly, just talking about the fan groups as well, because the thing I would say is that, you know, I mean, you may not know it, but, you know, the fan groups or your fan groups are very powerful. I mean, I've, I was on the FSF board for, what, five years on the National Council, and I was in, in and out of meetings with Scudamore at the Premier League and all sorts of stuff. And I saw how scared they were of you because the way that you were able to mobilise. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, and I'll say this, that Spirit of Shankly and Liverpool fans were pretty much instrumental in actually getting 20s plenty getting the basic the price cap going on in football you know because I, I was in a meeting and I met Jay from Spirit of Shankly and he was so fed up with what was going on he said every year I come in these meetings and they say the same old stuff and then he just told me in the pub what his strategy was going to be for the next year and I was thinking oh, that's quite hardcore and I thought it's not going to happen and then he went off and he did it and all the companies and everyone that's involved in it were scared and the club was scared and before we knew it they folded you know they said right what could we do to do? and I just thought I'll tell you something it just goes to show you that when fans get together they can actually really make things happen you know we need to stop factionalising ourselves and start getting together because we've all got the same objectives and I, and I saw that and I thought, it was, I thought it, was, it was proper yeah yeah, massively but also I think when we're talking about fans mobilising and getting together we've got to decide what we're passionate about you know one of the, one of the arguments we have regularly as Anfield rap contributors is all of the, all of the fans on Twitter constantly complaining about Liverpool not spending money on players and <laughs> to the point of trying to mobilise about that when they're sitting top of the league and they've won the European Cup and the Premier League in the last three years you know, our argument is where the fuck were these people in 2010 when we were almost in liquidation you know, there were people there was, there was a fair few thousands of us marching against Hicks and Gillette but there were people across the fan base looking at us like we had three heads you know and, and if we're deciding that we want to we want to mobilise and, and give a crap about social causes that matter within football and ways in which that actually help us as fans or do we all want to spend the most money every summer and go against the whole concept of what we want the game to be in terms of it being you know equating to, to working class and, and equality then you know, I think I think the narrative's just still a little bit skewed, and I think I do think social media has a massive part in that, and I think football ideology in that sense plays a massive part. But I think it's got a bit of a way to go. I think 
it's going in the right direction. I think the organisations can do a lot more, but I think it's we've seen the last few years, it's going the right way. It's going the right way. I'll tell you what's going the right way. Brentford are going the right way because we're going up the table now. We've got eight points and we're... Listen, honestly, mate, we're going into orbit now. I'm laughing, I'm joking. I'm not, you're, you're, not, you're not wasting time now, Bill. You're, you're, you're getting into the full flow of this game. Now. I am now. I know, now. Now that we've passed the Wolverhampton zone, we're going into the Liverpool zone, mate. You know, we want to get this game over as quickly as done as, as we could go and do. But anyway, like I said to you, we've got a big game on Saturday. We've got Liverpool coming down. Liverpool are very excited coming down to New Griffin Park, down to my new stadium as well. And uh, but I tell you what, though, I've got I've got no idea what's what's going on down in Liverpool. What are they doing? All I know is that they seem to score lots of goals and win lots of games. However, we put Will the spreadsheet winker back into his lab. He's pressed loads of buttons. He's come out with loads of stats. This was what Will had to say about Liverpool. Spreadsheet winker. So what are the main things to look forward to for this Liverpool game? First of all, they're top of the XG table in the Premier League, having created a huge 16.0 XG and conceded just 5.2 this season so far. This means as an average match, they create nearly 3 XG worth of chances, which is ridiculous. In comparison, we've created 5.8 XG of chances so far and conceded 4.3 XG, meaning we've actually conceded less XG than Liverpool so far this season. Our defence has been better at stopping big chances. Even in the only game where Liverpool have dropped points so far this year, a 1-1 draw with Chelsea a few weeks ago, they outcreated their opponents by 2.62 XG, just both only scoring once. But in all their other games, they've not struggled to convert, winning 3 out of 5 of them 3-0. Secondly, they press even higher than Bees, with 8.62 passes allowed per defensive action on average compared to our 9.39. They also love counter-attacks and crosses, averaging 10 more crosses per game than Bees do, and nearly 3 times as many counter-attacks. Our centre-backs will need to be on the ball at intercepting their crosses, and our wing-backs need to be very hot at stopping them on the counter-attack transition. We need to not be caught short like we were sometimes last season, especially like in that Bournemouth game. This is definitely, definitely our hardest game so far this season. I know I said that against Wolves last week, and it turned out pretty well, but this is much harder than that. Just in terms of XG creation and conversion rate to actual goals, Liverpool are a cut above anyone else we've faced in a long time. It's going to be a difficult match. So there we go, Will the spreadsheet winker and I, like I said for the, for the Liverpool fans out there who are thinking what's, the, what's it going on about the, the Forest fans weren't happy that you know that we used stats and they called us I think last a couple of seasons ago they started to call us spreadsheet winker you know what I'm saying and there was a little bit of beef between Brentford and Forest fans and then we got promoted and we didn't speak to them for, for a while so you know so we've decided to create a little section called the spreadsheet winker which Will has come out with some stats and I have to say what a winker, what a winker. The, the interesting thing is that every game that we play we Will says, oh, this is the hardest game of the season so far. So I don't know if the the, 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 the FA, you know, the, the Premier League, actually kind of done this deliberately. They said, oh, let's, let's just ease them in gently. Let's give them Arsenal first, the, the easiest game of the season. And then they just step it up a little bit. We seem to, we seem to be on this travelator of difficultness at the moment. And it, and it, and it is. I, th- I think it's probably more to the point that everyone's kind of easing themselves into the season and um, you know like the cream is rising to the top now yeah you know we, we were top day one because we were, we were the only game that had been played and uh, and we managed to beat our, a very poor Arsenal team um, and now the, 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 the Premier League is becoming to form some semblance of how the rest of the season is going to pan out hopefully we're, we're, we're bang in the middle or just above in the middle and that's hopefully where we're going to stay um, but yeah when you say about Will saying it's the hardest game yet this, this certainly is 
you know, we, we always knew that the, the t- games against the top four probably weren't going to matter so much in our in our um, in the outcome of our season. But now we're doing okay. I think we can probably, if Liverpool turn up and they're not on it, we stand a chance of doing something. And and, and I and I I'm. I, I say that without kind of booking myself in for a sanity check tomorrow. You know, it, we, we played very well on Saturday and we know that we're here out of merit and we're, we're a worthy um, member of the Premiership for hopefully a few years, if not forever. And um, I, I think Liverpool obviously scare the bejesus out of us, uh, rightfully, as, as it will scare the bejesus out of every team they play this season. But I think we could do something, mate. I think we could do something. It's interesting you say she would do something because after the Wolves game, again, as we do, we bumped into uh, Phil Giles, which is the Brentford director of football. And, of course, we got him on the podcast. And he thought that we might be able to do something against Liverpool as well. This is what Phil Giles, Brentford director of football, had to say about Brentford and Liverpool. I think we're clearly capable of getting points off Liverpool and Chelsea. I'm not saying we will, but we've got a capability. We're well structured, organised. It's a very, very disciplined team performance today. It's hard to break us down. Um, obviously, they'll be favourites, you know. They'll expect to win the game. So uh, give it a crack, right? So there you go, Phil Giles. Oh, he's, he's confident and he's, he's got his calculator out. He's got the numbers. He's all excited. Jimmy, but I was say, going back to Will, did, did he scare the bejesus out of you? Yeah, I mean, I kind of wish I hadn't really heard from Will this week, to be honest, mate. He hasn't really helped my moods. I, I mean, I, I had my uh, my romantic heart-on-sleeve response to this question, and then I heard Will, and now I think I'm being a bit stupid, man. But I think, like, um, you know, what was really important, right, when you come into this league like us, you have to... Um, you, you have to gain points when they're when they're truly up for grabs, right? So that Wolves game was such a big win, and it's taken so much pressure off the Liverpool game. Liverpool game's a total free hit for us, right? If Liverpool Liverpool don't turn up, or, or they get a red card, or some or some a little twist of fate goes away, we're in the game. I think we've got really good defence. I think if we can. Defend as well as we have been, and you know some of those wingers can also step up, as Will said, and we can keep their attack at bay, which isn't easy. We all know that. Then you know anything can happen, I guess. But it's a, it's a free hit. It really is. I mean, you know, we we, we talk about um, we talk earlier about. You know, so just one step back further. My, my first season ticket was like 1994, right? So I never saw the 89 game, and it was spoke about in folklore. This amazing Liverpool game because the side was so good. And they pumped us like 4-0, right? But it still spoke about for so long as this magical game in our history, a game which we get demolished 4-0. And Liverpool, by all standards, are a great club. The history says that. But we played them as peers on Saturday. It's a special moment. So we go in, we, we deserve to be here. And I think this team, I think the desire of our team, I think the mentality they've got, I, I back them to put on a good show. I don't necessarily think that means we're going to win, but I think they're all going to raise their game, and I think they're all going to give a good performance to themselves. I think the fans will be great. I, there's not many fan bases I'm excited to see. Like, I generally am excited to see Liverpool fan base come down. There's probably only three I'd say that this year that 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 are in that category. They're one of them. <laughs> yeah, and Oldham obviously. Oldham are actually pretty good to be fair to them. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's that's my view on the game really. Um, I think it's um, yeah, just less from Will. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. And, and listen, Dan. I mean, look, look. Let's be honest with you, mate. Listen, it's all over. I mean, it's it's it's, it's Liverpool to lose now, isn't it, Dan? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it, it, like, like you've completely referenced rightly, it's a free hit for Brentford. So, you know, it's it's a game which invariably has more pressure on for Liverpool. Um, and I think it's I think it's one in which Norwich are a bad example in the League Cup. Um, but I think if you, if you need to, to set up against this Liverpool side, I think if you are in some variance of a 3-5-2-5-3-2, you're going to give yourself a chance. I think that's the best way to do it against them. You've got to be incredibly brave, um, and there's a massive risk-reward thing there. But with the crowd behind them, half-five on a Saturday, you just don't know. What, what I'd be mindful of, just from a Brentford point of view, is from, from anyone's point of view, really... And not to sound like a knobhead, but you just don't want to get snotted because it is such a tight rope um, that could go either way. And you know, there's there's a free hit, and then there's getting snotted five 0 and then you can your confidence is dented, and it goes into the next game. And I don't think that will happen. I think, like I say, I've seen bits of Brentford enough to know that I think you'll give a good account of yourself, and you'll keep it tight at least for sixty. I think maybe, and there might just be a goal in it one way. Um, and then you'd see what happens from there but I'm looking forward to it and, and, and just looking at what Liverpool are about I mean you're very strong at attacking set pieces you're very strong at creating scoring chances you're good at attacking down the wings creating long shot opportunities protecting the lead aerial duels um, you know your style of play is that you take a lot of shots you attempt through balls often you know you go through the middle the right you control the game in the opponent's half it's a bit scary you know like possession football short passes attempts crosses often you play the offside trap you rotate the first 11 you're non-aggressive but your weakness, no. <laughs> the weakness is stopping opponents from creating ch- uh, scoring chances, from creating chances. So almost like that's the little get out for us. Like, you know, we will still have a chance. And this is what we said beforehand. We need to create those chances because a lot of time we get the chances, we don't put them in the back of the net. We are going to create chances. Um, we, we've created chances in every game we've played for the last three, four, five years, I, I, I don't, I don't question our ability to, to have our moments, but Liverpool are masters at uh, controlling matches against the best teams in the world, and they won't fear Brentford. They, they, they won't take us for granted. I know that Jurgen Klopp is an incredibly uh, um, knowledgeable and intelligent guy who will. Um, give us a, a proper threat analysis and he'll play a strong team I know he will he's not going to rest players against us I'm sure um, uh, yeah we just got to, we've got to be clinical if a chance comes our way we've got to take it and um, I, I think it's, it's an event more than a game for us it's another one of those Arsenal nights we need to get in the pub early we need to have a few drinks we need to lubricate our vocal cords we need to get behind the team and we have to give them a chance and then you know help them raise their game and if it doesn't happen we just I just hope it doesn't as you said doesn't undermine all the positive goal difference that we've got Liverpool will give you chances when you all get in the ground on Saturday and the game kicks off just notice how high Liverpool's line is and the, the reason is the centre-back. Now the Van Dijk's back for Liverpool. They, were, they are happy to sort of give you a 4v3 against. So they'll go, they'll go with Matip, Van Dijk, uh, and they'll have a 3v2. A classic example 
of how they'll control the chances they give you in that sense because you're getting behind. Is it, there's a couple of, there's a game a few years ago where Spurs come to Anfield and Musa Sissoko and Son uh, are through on goal and Van Dijk's basically the, the only defender. So they're a two on one. So Sissoko's got the ball, he's on his left foot, he's bearing down on goal and everybody's screaming at Van Dijk to press the ball, to go and close it down. And he's basically not. He's basically cutting the line off to Son and saying to Sissoko, you can have this chance, but it's on your left foot and I back my keeper. And you'll see Liverpool play those odds with Van Dijk in the side so well. The, 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 the micromanagement, it's almost millisecond management that they dictate the, the level of chance an opposition gets most of the time in games with him and the team. It's just, it's forensic. And sometimes that goes wrong. Sometimes they get a bad judgment call like they did a few times last season with VAR. Sometimes, you know, things just happen in games where that, that goes against. But... You will get chances. It's just the level of chance they give you is sometimes a little bit deceptive. And the other thing I'd say as well is you've just got a massive decision with what to do with our full-backs, especially playing wing-backs. So if they want to go and lock on to our two full-backs, they're just going to cheat and stand on the other side of them. And they'll just give you the decision to make all of the time. So then you've got a decision to make. And that's why I say playing in a three or a five is sometimes the best way because you can bring other centre-halves over, bring other midfielders over. But... Liverpool will make the pitch small and they'll do that by pushing the line up and then they'll do that by creating the spaces allowing players to bomb on and hopefully not for me but for you guys getting hit on the break I mean, we'll see because interesting because you know you talk about the way that we play obviously we, we do play three stroke five at the back we changed that formation towards the sort of back end of last season when we were going for a few interesting results which weren't quite going our way and we've stuck with that and we bought a player in the close season Ayer from our Celtic as well Christopher Ayer who's a fantastic player who's basically allowed us to play three at the back you know so we've got Pontus Janssen we've got Ethan Pinnock who was playing non-league football he's playing for Dulwich Hamlet about four seasons ago in the non-league the Isthmian League and now he's playing for in the Premier League and we've got um, Ayer as well and I is great because again you know he, he spends half his time in the in the opposition area as well so we've got that and then we've got obviously the old man who's you, you can add to his restaurant in a, in, in, in a week's time or so Sergi Canos like, you know what I'm saying you know shout to Sergi right I'm going to be ordering a few things from you on the as, as a right wing back as well and we've got Rico Henry as a left back on our defence has been, I'm not saying the rest of the players haven't done the business because everyone's worked well, but it's been a real shining light for us because we've only let in two goals at the moment. Oh, he yeah. says, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> to date, we've let in two goals from open play as well and two great goals as well as it is. So our defence has been playing really, really hard. So this is going to be a true tester for us to see exactly how our defence is, how watertight our defence is, you know, how much you can pull us. And I'm just wondering, you know, from your perspective, and I know this is it because Liverpool and you've got all these fantastic players, but... How do you see it with our defence? And also you've got Christian Norgard, who's a great uh, CDM as well, playing in front of that as well. How do you see that sort of panning out? I think Liverpool want to kill the crowd. So they, they do it really well at Norwich in the League Cup because there's a full house at Norwich and they were, they were up for it and Liverpool scored after three minutes. That would be a dream scenario if we do that. But I think Jürgen Klopp relishes these games, games he, he hasn't come up against, opponents he hasn't come up against, stadiums he's not been to. I think there'll be a real... I think there'll be an element of caution in Liverpool. It'll be interested to see who Liverpool put in midfield. I think it'll be Fabinho and Jordan Anderson. If Naby Keita's fit, I think he'll play. It might be Curtis Jones. But I think what that will give you is just a semblance that Liverpool want to keep the ball for 10 minutes um, and just want to keep the momentum in the stadium down. 
and just see what Brentford do really if Brentford want to play in wide areas then Liverpool I think will look to play through the middle I think they'll look to create three gaps I think on the turnover you'll see where Liverpool want to penetrate but look it's a fantastic spectacle isn't it it's great we, we're, we're so excited for it you know we, Seems like Brentford coming up, great for us. And I, I personally wanted Brentford coming up, you know, last season, the season before, because it's a similar ethos. It's, it's well coached. It's, you know, it's, it's ethics are there. It's, it's just a good football club. And you're gonna get, you know, you're gonna get a, a, a maybe fifteen hundred scouts coming down who, who are, who are here to sample, you know, all the, all the cultures of Brentford and not Sergi Canis's re- restaurant in Penny Lane. <laughs> and the thing is, I mean, we're talking about Saturday as well. It's a five thirty kickoff. You know, you've got your Liverpool fans are coming down. As, as, as people may not know, and I'll explain to you, our Brentford is. I mean, you, you've come in our pub here, the Globe here today. Do, do you like? Are you liking the vibes? It's lovely. Yeah, it's absolutely great. Um, clocked some food before as I went in the Ryder Cup was on thought I might come back tomorrow that's <laughs> over an hour away yeah that's right and we, we sat here like I said to you home fans away fans you know not only in this pub but every single pub in Brentford there's no bouncers on the door literally you just come here as long as you've got manager come here buy you a drink we have a laugh you go get the game we hope we win you hope you win you come back and that's what it's like in and around Brentford there are pubs in the Brentford area this is basically just around the corner from Old Griffin Park which is our old ground as well so we've got a couple of pubs here the, uh, the Globe here this one the Lord Nelson there then we've got pubs on the corner which are still open which fans still go to still very busy and then there's the other set of pubs which is Kew Bridge which is the pubs around the Kew Bridge area as well you know like the, 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 the Express Tavern and the one over the eight and the ones down by the river which people go to so on a long day like today you can do a good old pub crawl where you come to the Northfields Tube where you come to do a pub crawl all the way down excuse for a weather, any weather spoons action no, no, there's no excuse not at all like you know what I'm saying you could come with a pub crawl all the way down here down from North Falls all the way down going on, in and around the pubs at Brentford then you can go over to Kew you can have actually a really great day and you'll be really welcomed by the Brentford fans and stuff like that you'll have a really really good laugh and I can imagine the Liverpool fans are quite enjoying coming you know you're just looking forward to it it's just fantastic isn't it to be back in stadiums to meet with your mates every weekend to do this thing that we we all took so for granted in our lives and, and you know for me in particular it sounds so cliched this but you know I said at the start of the pod when I came on Jürgen Klopp took Liverpool on a journey and I, I learned some valuable lessons in life from watching that team that togetherness that desire um, to that will to want to do something and succeed and, and to have that taken away from my point of view was hard but from every fan fans you know across the world Point of view to be taken away from the football team and the friends and that and that social, you know, amazing thing that we we can do together and and you know communicate together in by travelling up and down the country and watching football. It's just great to have it back and you know long long may it come back and everyone be safe and sound and. And I'm sure Saturday will be a great spectacle and everyone will, will get on grand. Yeah, definitely. And the good thing about it as well, because, you know, music and football go together. And if you want to as well on Saturday as well, there's a festival literally right opposite the road from where the, where the, where the, where the game as well. So if you want to go raving as well, you can go to the match and you can go raving. You can come to the pub. You can do it all in West London because there's a massive festival literally about two minutes walk from where the game is going to be. So that's going to be very interesting. You're going to go get, get your dancing shoes on. I mean, if you mention a rave, then you might have scousers down here for a week <laughs> To be honest, and a, and a lot more, a lot more than the away allocation. So I'll just temper that one. I'll not, I'll not feed that bit back just yet. 
<laughs> I've actually got to tell you a story. I've got all these other stories as well. But you know that um, you, you remember the record Parson Roof. It's a Liverpool groove. Yeah, yeah. I was involved in that because I'm an A and R guy. So oh. I actually made yeah, I actually made that record. So I went up to to Liverpool Park Street Studios. It was yeah, with Apollo 440. So I was with the 440 boys. Yeah, I know it's really mad as well. I remember, and I'll tell you a story because the day before Liverpool were playing Everton on the Tuesday night, and I got invited to it. But in those days, I was like, I only go to Brentford. I don't go to that. So I, I didn't take up a ticket for Liverpool Everton. But then what happens is that I was allowed to go afterwards all the players were meeting in the Conti remember the Continental so we're meeting in the Conti and so I've gone inside I've walked in the Conti and as I've walked in the door right basically bang and I've got a punch in my eye like, you know, so I'm not lying on the floor I've got a punch in my eye from the Conti because I've walked right into a fight I've got picked up and I've got picked up I go, hey, hey you're right and I've looked up and it's John Barnes right? so John Barnes is like he's taking me he goes you're right I said I'm, I'm going to be here meeting all the Liverpool players so he's taking me up to the VIP lounge at the top and like it was like carnage just like women blah, Robbie Fowler all the characters like you know inside the VIP lounge it was just madness and me you know it was just like it's just hilarious like you know what I'm saying we've done loads and loads of loads of Liverpool players and, and I remember Amakachi I think it was who played for Everton was there like you know he had a bottle of Blue Nun and all the rest of them all sort of drinking champagne <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. It's like it's madness. You know, so so I remember. So I was chatting to John Barnes and John. I said, "Look, we got we got a video shoot tomorrow. Like you know, ten o'clock." And he's going, "They ain't going to turn up, mate." None of them's going to turn up. All the young lads, you know, they're not really there. So anyway, when I got up the following morning, like you know, they all bowled in, like you know, sort of Razor Roddock and all those characters. At one o'clock in the afternoon, and John Barnes is there for one. Anyway, I just had to tell the story of the past of the move at the Liverpool Groove because I remember that as your team, that classic team that you had now, trying to get them to sing and dance and move. Their movements were terrible, right? They had no idea what they were talking about. It was quite hilarious, but it was uh, it was it was another important period for you, wasn't? It. Trying to get them to turn off for that cup final was uh, was just as hard. I think that season, yeah, uh, it was it was a, a weird phase. That we, th- I mean, they, th- that team could have won the league uh, in '97. I think just after that that year, um, perennially gifted, but. They were, I'm not funny, but they were. Bonk- I mean, I saw what was going on, and I was like, well, they yeah. were just—they were on it. They were just not. Just, it was just another thing that was yeah. going on there. Just another <laughs> level, yeah. In terms of, uh, of just a lack of discipline, and there was obviously the Spice Boys thing and stuff like that, which, yeah, it did for someone like Roy Evans, who was a decent fella, you know, a decent manager and a decent guy, and I just don't think there was ever the discipline there. And Gerard Houllier coming after that, and. Uh, put the foot down with uh, people like Paul Ince, shock horror, who was seen as a bad influence, who knew? Um, so yeah, it was it was an interesting time in Liverpool history, that uh, very much the last years, I think. Yeah, yeah, sorry, and that's a deviation there, but I just had to bring that in. But listen, I know that you've got to shoot off because you've got to go back to Liverpool because, like, you know, thanks for flying down for this game. But before, but before we do that, I know we shouldn't really do this to you, but I'm going to ask you to put a score prediction in around the table. First of all, I'm going to go to the Brentford boys before we come to the Liverpool. Oh, me first. Um, uh, This is very much heart and head. Okay, My head says we don't really stand much of a chance. However, I'm really going to... I'm going to go with my heart. I'm absolutely going to go with my heart and I'm going to say we are going to witness a night that we are never going to forget on Saturday and I'm going to say we're going to win 2-1. Oh, Laley's been on the liquor. Jimmy Mack. So, a few few crucial things must happen on Saturday. Right? One, uh, Chris Ayer has to be on form because we saw the Wolves game when we had 10 men. He was playing right wing back and centre back. And he seemed to cover them both for about 10 minutes without a problem. So that, I think if he's on form and he can do that kind of role to put in the wing-backs, I think that's going to really help the system. 
and somehow we need to get keep that keep that atmosphere in the ground after 10 minutes we can't concede early so the crowd can get I'm sure Liverpool have heard it before but so the crowd stay in the game and, and keep the team going uh, I think all that is going to happen and I think it's going to be a something this is mental but I do have a feeling we're not going to lose the game and I, I think we are going to get a famous 1-1 draw oh oh dead man I think a modest 2-0 for Liverpool. Uh, a goal probably 10 minutes before the first half and then I think we'll we'll get one around 70-75 and I think you'll have a big half an hour to start the game. Uh, if you don't score in that period, that's how I can see it playing out and I think we'll all shake hands and get drunk afterwards. And for me, oh, listen, I just want to see goals, 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 goals. So I'm going to go 2-0. Two, two to the Bees, two to the Liverpool. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, listen, listen. Yeah, that's, that's right, yeah, that's right. Barnsley, I think John Barnes is in front of me still, like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so listen, this is the Besotted Bride of West London podcast. First of all, I want to say, Dan, tell us how can they get hold of you and your crew and what are you doing? I'm Phil Rapp on all the usual channels. Um, if you're a Liverpool fan, you haven't heard of us, check us out. You can subscribe. We've got a, a range of free content and a range of subscriptions. But yeah, I mean, the Anfield Rap just covers every basis Liverpool wise. We've got tons and tons of what you need it's 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 supporting Liverpool from the heart of the city and it's everything that comes with that so yeah check it out theanfieldrap.com which is all good and I'm going to be on the Anfield Rap tomorrow I'm going to check to Neil and we're going to be previewing the match as well but like I said to you check us out also, also on besotted.com we've got a preview of this match as well and we're going to have a big pub guide on there so all your Liverpool fans if you check out the preview of the Liverpool match there's a massive there's about 20 pubs on there that you can check out so check that out as well I'll be right for another other publication like this is Liverpool and stuff like that putting some pubs into there and Anfield Rap will give you the information as well Loads of places to go. Just come down, do the manners. Like I said, you can come down the globe, enjoy yourself, go to the Nelson, go to any other pub that you want to and have a little bit of a laugh. But other than that, like I said to you, my name is Billy Grant. This is Besotted Pride of West London Copas. If you want to, besotted.com forward slash beer. Just to support us as well. Subscribe to us on all your channels as well. But and if you need to get manscaped. If you don't get manscaped at all. <laughs> listen, we are playing a wicked game on Saturday I'm going to be look forward to it I'll tell you something I don't care what the result is going to be at the end of the day we're going to have a laugh we're going to come down there we're going to see our mates we're going to have a Liverpool chums coming down we're going to have a laugh what do you up the lads oh Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.